Welcome to Why Logosynthesis Works, a podcast that explores the transformative power of logosynthesis. I'm your host, Kathy Caswell, a master practitioner in logosynthesis. And in each episode, I'll be talking with a professional therapist, counselor, or coach who has experienced the profound benefits of using this model in their own life and in the lives of their clients. Join us as we explore the reasons why logosynthesis works and discover how it can benefit your own healing and personal growth to unlock your potential in work and in life. Astrid Klein Lankhorst is joining me from Groningen in the Netherlands, where she offers guidance to people who are looking to move forward in their lives, including after trauma and loss. She's a certified master practitioner and trainer in logosynthesis, and Astrid works as a psychosynthesis therapist, which she has been using for the past 24 years. So psychosynthesis has been developed by Roberto Asagioli and is called transpersonal psychology or psychology for the soul. And it considers people to be more than their daily small self. They're all connected to their higher self and the universal self. In fact, logosynthesis recognizes this model in the development. So thank you for joining me, Astrid. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Great. So to start, can you describe how you were introduced to logosynthesis and what made you curious to explore this model? Yes. In fact, this is a beautiful story because I wasn't looking for a new model, not conscious. But I was on a wedding and I met someone who told me about a new model, uh, also something with words and psychosynthesis also uses words. And I just was curious. And so I met Willem Lammers in 2008 in the Netherlands, where he was here to do a three-day seminar, a live logosynthesis live seminar. And that means that everyone who is present will have a turn in working on your own process. And well, I was blown away by these three, three days. And actually, honestly, I was already working with logosynthesis before these days because I got a little video, very a tiny video where I only saw one hand holding a pen and I heard two sentences of course, spoken by Willem Lammers. And I got this video and I was hooked. I listened to the video and again and again and again. I was so intrigued by those, at that time, two sentences that I started already experimenting with them on my clients even before I had been taught how to work with it. So actually, there was something deep inside of me that immediately thought, yes. This is something very special for me. And after these three days of life, um, part of this whole Dutch group went some weeks later to Switzerland to Badragas for the first Logosynthesis number one course in the Summer Academy in Badragas, where at that time there were 12 people. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly grown since then, but... Yeah, the, the philosophy and the model stays very similar. 
So, um, well, the advantage is that leukosynthesis and psychosynthesis have lots in common. So it was really easy to add it to what I was already doing. But, well, the protocol, the speaking out loud words and then see so much progress, that was really fascinating and new to me. Yeah, and so many people come from so many different backgrounds, don't they? Like everybody comes from a different background, and yet the model seems to touch them very deeply and really sparks curiosity and fascination as to what is possible. Because when you said, oh, I was blown away, I remember coming back from the basics seminar thinking the exact same thing. I'm blown away with this. So, yeah. And that doesn't happen often. Yeah, <laughs> it still happens to me. <laughs> Although I work with it for for a long time already. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So I wanted to speak a bit today about grief and loss. We're human. We all experience grief and loss, and many people really struggle to move forward in their lives, especially when a death involves a loved one. So can you speak to this? Well, I surely can. And I'm thinking of my own life. And I remember that when I was 18, my grandmother died very suddenly, unexpectedly. And uh, almost a year later, my first boyfriend died, saying suddenly, unexpectedly from leukemia. I was only 19 then. And what I remember from the years after that, I struggled not just with the sadness, but with so many feelings of guilt. That was my own story. And guilt about what especially I had not done. I had not visited my grandmother so often when I went to, to the university. I had not spoken out some very well deep things that I would have said to this guy. And it was very difficult for me to open up to the world after those both deaths. It was like colored, like um, I was kind of bound to those people to stay loyal to everything. What has happened had happened. Um, I was a bit scared of looking out for someone new. And I really had a very difficult time, kind of closing up, very not a healthy way of being when you are 19 years old. So I remember from my own life that um, these unsolved issues around grief, it, it, it were, they were on, on unsolved issues, I can call them now like that, that really grabbed me and uh, took my energy away. So, yes, in my practice, well, I work a lot with people who have uh, traumatic experiences or have lost meaning in life. Not the first topic is uh, grief, um, but grief is often often combined with traumatic experiences. So, um, yeah, grief is in fact something that is not not wrong. It is a healthy process that people need to restore. But when grief kind of gets stuck then it is in fact traumatic and uh, can block you in your and life, can, can block you in a, in a very big way. 
and it can be so hard to move forward, doesn't it? And when we work with logosynthesis, very often we talk about let it go. And when we talk about let it go in, in logosynthesis terms, it's about a shift in energy, such as letting go of stress or letting go of the pressure and, um, you know, letting go of painful memories or limiting beliefs that no longer serve us. And yet, understandably, when it comes to guiding people who are grieving, let it go doesn't really resonate, does it? We don't want to let go of the grief or the pain because we don't want to let go of that person. So can you describe how that might show up with your clients and and how you guide them through this? Well, what you're talking about is exactly what makes working with grief and loss so specific also in logosynthesis because it is mingled. On the one hand, people want to recover and want to let go and go on with their lives. On the other hand, they do not want to let go because um, the only comfort they have in a moment of loss is that they have their memories or they have their fantasies. And if you would say, oh, give up your memories or give up your fantasy, better for you. It's impossible. It's just impossible. So um, when I work with people who um, are in the midst of this grief, in the beginning, I do the opposite of letting go. I, I address the grief. I address what's there. I let them tell the story. I see what emotions are there or what emotions are not there. I listen to the story and create a space where the, the grief can be, where no one tells them, you should shut up with the grief. No, this grief is also very important that there is a place where it can be at the start. And in the meantime, of course, I'm already thinking of where, uh, where is the energy blocked in this grief? Where is someone already moving a bit forward? And where is, uh, where are things stuck? People cannot even address something, or some people cannot cry, just not. And so, when it gets easier uh, to start with logosynthesis, when there are uh, what I call more the traumatic symptoms, a bit like the PTSD symptoms. If someone says, oh, can you please help me because I'm so sad, but I don't sleep because I see those images all the time. It's actually not a moment to wait, maybe, because then they have, it feels like a burden. And it is very concrete. They can describe what they see or what they smell or with grief that can be very intense. And sometimes I start even in the first session with a small piece of something like that. When it is so open that there is a, a specific image or a specific sound or something. Yeah. And someone is uh, what I then have the impression feels safe with me. I sometimes say, well, we can do a little experiment. So then I can start already um, by finding a bit of relief. 
that's not always possible, but uh, I have some clients where this is so obvious and so heavy on top of everything else. I see this image all the time, by day and by night, this image, and it is so specific and it is mostly, it is mostly a kind of detail, something representing something else, but it's the detail, it's this hair, or it's the color of the skin, or this this smell. And yes, so sometimes you can start early, although, well, I haven't heard the whole story yet. Yeah. But most of the time I take care that I, I take enough time to give people actually the chance to, to grieve with me and first start there. Yeah, because I think you make a good point that, you know, often everybody has an opinion of how we should handle grief. And everybody's way of handling grief is different. And there's so many shoulds and how we should, how we should be coping or how we should be moving forward. And I think you make a very good point about, um, because we always say in logosynthesis, there are no shoulds. So if there is something there, it's a matter of creating that environment where people can just be and, and, uh, listen and, and support without offering judgment or advice. So grief can really, grief and loss can really block our personal growth and that can also support our personal growth. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, actually that is a very strange phenomenon that when you are in a crisis in your life, you think this must not happen. We don't want those crises. Why? But if you notice what people say if they have come out, many of them, maybe most of them, I think, in my experience, say, oh, I have come out stronger, richer, with a new perspective on life. I want to do completely new, new things that I have never dreamt of before. After the grief or the loss, it's not just the loss of a beloved person, but it can also be a loss of a job or loss of a place where you have lived for a long time or sometimes loss, loss of a fantasy. That's also grief and loss. And, um, but the grief or the loss or this crisis puts you all of your way. It, 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 it gets you in all kind of new directions you have never thought you would go and afterwards you can only look at this afterwards not when someone is in the midst of it but afterwards when you have dissolved some of the traumatic experiences when there has been room for the grieving for the crying maybe or for some yeah finding out that not all is lost and people can create a completely new perspective on life. Many people who lost their partner learn how they can survive on their own um, and find new friends, but it's only afterwards. It's never in the midst of it. So, um, but this loss, if you, if you work through the loss, 
you can come such, become such a richer person than you have ever been before. Yeah, and I find logosynthesis is a beautiful model for because it is layer by layer, right? It, it's not like one day we're grieving, the next day we're not. But it's paying attention to, you know, where we're limited, where we're stuck, where, you know, what's bothering us in our everyday life that that still pertains to it. And, and we can work layer by layer and, and you know, over time we notice things unfolding in a new way, don't we? Yeah. So in many cultures, we're conditioned to value that driver, be strong, so that we have a sense of power to move through our loss. And, you know, I think of here in Nova Scotia during the pandemic, we experienced a mass shooting. Um, and the term Nova Scotia strong was used very widely to help us through our grief. And then also last year, my mom passed away and uh, we received a lot of messages from family in the Netherlands and that contained the word steric or strong, right? Yeah, fair. And, um, and that's certainly a characteristic that is valued in my family. So while it's important to be strong, I also sense that this energy can be limiting. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I recognize this very well. I'm Dutch too. And it's a kind of habit in our country that, yeah, when someone has died and you send a, a postcard or whatever, you say, well, uh, be strong or strength. We wish you strength. And of course, people need strength because, well, with the funeral and everything to arrange when your head is not there is something where you can use some strength. But the danger is afterwards, if you keep to this be strong, people get a kind of belief that they must be strong for the rest of their lives. They must be strong um, when they feel sad, not reaching out to people, but do it all by yourself. Or um, if you feel depressed every time, um, kind of thinking that's a bad thing and you should not show to other people how you feel or it, it can actually block the whole grieving process because grieving is about going through emotions and emotions are connected to your body. You have to make bodily shifts after uh, a loss. And if you only be strong and actually say to your body, no, you cannot move. You must stay where you are in this condition now, unaffected by whatever it actually blocks the whole process. And what, what's there also is then that there is a belief in some people that if they are not strong, then something terrific will happen. I know from a woman who was in my practice and she had a terrible loss and she said, I can't cry. And if I would start to cry, I would start forever. So that's why she didn't cry. And then I said, I must admit, I had this from a supervisor, this tip. I said, if you start crying and you will cry forever, I will stay with you forever. And then she could cry. 
you know, that someone gets free from this belief that something terrible will happen if you start crying or if you reach out to someone. If this is your belief, I will never stop when I start crying. Well, you will not start. So this be strong is, is actually hindering a lot. If people believe that that's the truth, that's the only thing that can help, it can hinder the whole process. So happily, we can also work with beliefs in logosynthesis. And then you can also work with, with the belief. If, if the belief is spoken out, but I cannot do so because then something terrible will happen. So let's go to the fantasy. What could happen? And uh, we have then found the fantasy. We can loosen up this frozen energy so that the fantasy becomes a bit weird. Hmm, just a fantasy. I will not cry for the rest of my life. Things like this are very, very important, I think, in the grieving process. That, well, you said everyone is unique in the grieving process, but sometimes I must tell people you are unique in your way of grieving. And if someone tells you, you must be strong, it doesn't mean they are right. Right. Yeah. When it's really hard to imagine what can shift with those sentences until you do it, right? So we can talk about what it feels like to think I must not cry or I'll not stop. And what does that feel like and what does it feel to release it and um, using the sentence first and it's hard to explain it and that's why it's so important for people to be able to experience it and notice what you, you said something about shoots there are also many people who think you should not become angry when you're grieving not especially not angry for something the person who died has done to you I, I have a client and I met him seven years after he came to me and we worked a lot on a huge grief. I will come to this uh, in the end. But after seven years, something happened in his life. And then for the first time, he could become angry because just because he had sometime, somehow this idea, this is not how it should be. I cannot become angry. I must be sad but not angry when I'm grieving. So these things, and well, then if you have found this, you can address it and you can work with it with the logosynthesis basic protocol. Yeah, and a lot of that is, I think, you know, some of it is from the family, some of it is from our culture, and you start looking, and it, you can see where that is something that we would pick up in our culture. You can't be angry, yet you need to be sad, and we get a lot of messages, and when I think back to, again, the mass shooting here in Nova Scotia, it was horrific in the community, in our whole province. And um, so there's that individual grief, but there's also the collective grief. And there's so many initiatives that have been put in place to support healing. And yet we can tell that that grief is still very present in our communities. And... And we don't always know how to acknowledge it and process it. So do you have any words on, you know, the collective grief? 
yes, I'm of course very sorry for what happened uh, to Nova Scotia. And I mostly work one-to-one with people, but I think with logosynthesis, we can do more. That's really my idea. And we also could work uh, more in groups when there is something so big, like a mass shooting or I, I think we could also work in groups and I know maybe you also know uh, the dissertation of Natasha Jones from the United States uh, several months ago about yeah. logosynthesis and it was um, it's a beautiful uh, scientific um, work uh, an experiment around group work uh, with people who are wounded by domestic violence and she showed in her experiments that you can put several women in a group all having experienced this uh, this abuse you make them find their own triggers so what's still triggering you in and then you simply work with them through the sentences it's like self-coaching course it has an amazing result they all felt relief afterwards and the most horrible things were just gone and i was so touched by this um by this dissertation because of the beautiful perspective i think natasha has opened by showing us what you can do in a, in a group there was of course it was a control group with women who did not get this logosynthesis treatment and actually not so much happened in that group. They got something else and they got the logosynthesis treatment later. But it was really shown what you really can shift. You can shift so many uh, traumatic experiences um, together. Yes, because we all have... um... You know, if we if we think of what gets frozen in our memories, we all have a different image or we all have a different sound or we all have a different smell. So in this case, there were fires, there were, you know, gunshots, everything kind of through the community. And yet everybody would have something different frozen in their memory. And yet each person can work with what is in their space. And, yeah, you and work it, with this memory, this memory or yeah. this fantasy or whatever is there. And everyone can fill in his own or her own experience. Yeah, and of course, you follow the basic procedure. You help them to connect to that. You help them to find this trigger. And once everyone has found something that's there still triggering them, you can sim- simply say the sentences and yeah that's amazing I did some self-coaching workshops also with some groups and it worked yeah Sim- simply worked so I was thinking uh, when something happens like these yeah bigger things where so many people are involved well, I cannot go and work with all those people person to person to bring some relief, nor can you. But maybe you could do some something collective with logosynthesis. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then it's to to get the curiosity to explore it together, right? To create those spaces that we can explore it and um, and see what's possible. Yeah, and of course it it's it's free. People can choose to to do this experiment for them. It, for them, it's of course new. Mm-hmm. But if it's still there and, and people are still carrying so much pain around. I think it would be worth an experiment. There you go. We'll see how we do. So for you, um, what makes Logosynthesis special as a healing model? Well, there are several things that are special. I think the first thing that is special that, um, well, that's the same in psychosynthesis. That you look at persons, at clients especially, from the perspective that they are connected to essence anyway. Also when they don't have a clue or when they don't show anything of that. You know that on a deeper level they are connected to all kind of healing qualities. To love, to strength, to wisdom, to joy, confidence. It's all there. It's all there in that client, that specific client that's sitting there opposite to you. This connection is there. I always trust that. And I think that's beautiful because then you don't try to fix someone, but you can just do something that is enough for their own healing competence. And that's much, much more powerful. It's so beautiful too, isn't it? Because it gives them hope then and it empowers them to move forward when they know that it's not about fixing, it's about healing what's happened. I love this word empowering. That's what you want. You don't want to take someone by the hand and keep it there forever. You, yeah, you want to honor this beautiful person with all their qualities even if they don't know themselves that they they have them. So that's the first part that I I love about local synthesis and what I think is special. And the other thing that is very special, that is that um, local synthesis has this fundamental idea of everything is energy. And yeah, when someone is grieving sitting next to me, I don't think, oh, this is just energy. I'm just empathic and feeling what's happening and is going on. But somehow I know that when people are stuck in life, their energy is just stuck. And it is stuck in something. And you can find this something. It is in in the space of people. And they can acknowledge this. And when you have found where the energy has been stuck. And we come to the very, very specific of logosynthesis. And that is that we use words. We use the specific logosynthesis sentences and specific protocol to just dissolve it. The frozen energy can just go, can just become free so that you can use your energy for what's important to you. And this is amazing, I think. I must honestly say that in psychosynthesis, we also work with words. And I have never, before I met Logosynthesis, thought of it that this, of course, is also energy work. 
but um, the way in logosynthesis that we can be so specific in addressing with those sentences where this is frozen, that you can work in very small steps and that makes it, in my opinion, uh, unique. unique. If you look, I have a little bit knowledge of EMDR. If you look how you work there, it's almost more global. You never exactly know where you go or what you will touch. And with logosynthesis, you can be so very specific and you can work with so very tiny slices of something. Yeah, we did a survey. We did a survey in 2017, I think it was, where we asked practitioners what they preferred about logosynthesis, why they enjoyed working with logosynthesis. And, you know, number one was kind of the overall effectiveness. It was the speed of the work and the ease of using it. But one or two important things I thought were um, client comfort and that it targeted the specific issue. And I think especially when we touch on healing and grief, you do just want to open up a layer at a time because I think if we open everything up and then don't know what to do with it, it can be so painful for the individual. And so what I notice in working with people is that when they connect with what's bothering them in the moment and they zoom in on what that specific issue is and resolve it and it no longer binds you know holds them back going forward then you can then they have confidence to address the next issue as opposed to opening everything up and thinking okay something happened there but I don't know what and I don't know where I went and um, yeah so so I think you touch on an important point there yeah, I think that is important too, that you give them a bit of hope that at least something can change in this world of overwhelm. So do you have a couple examples of um, working with someone to support grief? Is there anything you'd like to share from a from an example? Yes, I'd love to. I, I um, came to this idea that I had one client Let's call him Harold. And Harold came to me two years after his wife died from cancer. And he had been tending her for many years until the end. And he came to me and he was burned out at that moment, was sitting at home ill. He hadn't worked too hard, but he also was still stuck in the grief about uh, the death of his wife. And he said to me all the time that I want to talk about her to someone. I start to cry so immensely that I stop and I I stop talking to people. I cannot speak without and for a man especially crying so so terribly was so inconvenient and so impossible to deal with that he came for help to me and. It, it, it was a story with lots of grief and lots of traumatic uh, experiences. But we worked only seven sessions. And I think that is very short when you deal with such a big loss. And um, he was one of those persons who had 
these very clear images that in the first the first uh, session we had he talked about this yellow color that came all the time came back all the time and he couldn't sleep and it came also in daylight by this color yellow and it's connected to the wish of his wife to paint the bad yellow in the end wow and how he struggled to finish the painting the bad yellow before she died and it was connected to so much stress and grief and and sadness and we didn't know at that moment but this color yellow came up and then because it was so strong i i addressed it i said if you think of this color yellow and he said oh it's there i can see it so clearly it's there and he started to cry i said let's do an experiment and we neutralized the color yellow immediately at the first session and it gave such a relief at that moment that um yes it was almost that well, I thought I took a very tiny piece, but we took a whole lot of grief out of of it just in in one session. It was, it's not always like this, but this is... As metaphors are so important too, aren't they? Yeah. Especially with grief that you use metaphors. But he came himself with this beautiful metaphor, actually, and with a very clear symptom of burden. He... He was really suffering from this symptom. So he could speak of it and he wanted to get rid of, of it. So he was already there. So um, that's what we did. But what was also very difficult for him was cleaning uh, or clearing the house. Every Everywhere were things of his wife and he didn't dare to touch them. So he couldn't move anything. Um, I, this was a very interest, interesting process with this man. How we then found out what was behind it. And behind it, uh, well, I will not tell the whole story, but in the end we came to the fact that he was uh, scared that his wife would, from some place in heaven, or would be angry when he would touch some, something in the wrong way. So we worked with that fantasy that she would be angry that he took some decisions to change things. And afterwards, he said, I think she will be proud of me that I take my own decisions. And it was such a turn. And it went so fast in this case. And well, after seven sessions, uh, he was helping um, together with a friend, another friend who also was dying from cancer. And he was there to help, to assist. And he could do that all. And he was open up to a new role. It was beautiful. And he came to me two years after his wife died. So he had been struggling for two years and couldn't take any step. And I only helped him, well, with some slices of his experience. And in the beginning, he said, will this stay away? <laughs> He couldn't believe. That is a very common question, isn't it? Yes, and we know that it does. Yeah, and then after some sessions, I'm so happy with you. I thought I'm so happy with logosynthesis that I can help you in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that went beautifully. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. 
Do you have any key messages that you would like to leave people about logosynthesis and supporting through grief? Well, maybe because I, I gave you an example of uh, a process that went very fast. It doesn't always go fast. And it depends, of course, in what role you are. I'm a drama therapist, so I get the more difficult situations. It's, well, if it, it, it takes the time that it needs. But it's, I think it's important with grief that you take your time. And sometimes I'm also too fast. And, well, maybe the best thing about logosynthesis is you can't do it wrong. If I'm too fast and I address something and someone is not ready for it, he will just <laughs> resist. Yeah. Nothing can happen. You can't do it wrong. You can be, well, a bit early and then, okay, you wait until the next time. I think people have the right to, well, to choose their own moment when they are ready for it. And of course, I try to follow very close, very closely, but sometimes you make a, a misjudgment as a therapist or a guide or, well, that's not a point with logosynthesis. There's no point. You, you can't do it wrong. And you're, so maybe that's you're, you're guiding the person, right? It's them that are saying the sentences and them that are doing the healing. It's not like we're fixing it for them. It's they are empowered to to shift their energy to yeah. get in touch and move forward. And I think, you know, it is um, important to note that this is one healing and and development model. It's not the be-all, end-all. There are a lot of different um, ways of, of supporting our growth and supporting our healing. And this is, is one model, but it's a, a very intriguing and powerful model. And I certainly appreciate what you shared with us on this topic. It's such an important topic for all of us. Um, can you maybe share how people can get in touch with you? Excellent. I certainly appreciate everything that you've shared with us today, and I love the work that you do, and you've been such a mentor for me, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for putting the questions together to me and inviting me, because for me, that has also been a process where I can, well, think a bit about um, what I've done the last years and maybe put some things together. So thank you too. Thank you for listening to Why Logosynthesis Works. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights into the power of logosynthesis. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join us next time as we continue to explore the transformative potential of this innovative approach to personal growth and emotional healing so that you can unlock your potential in work and in life.